men's breakfast, women's breakfast. Brandon's right. Last time the women beat us, this time, let's just name it, never again. Never again. That's right. Sophic, I heard you say it too. Never again. Hey, men, I don't care if you have to invite people who don't believe anything like you do. Doesn't matter. Never again. We don't want to get beaten. Somehow, competition. Let competition just have its way in your heart and, uh, and let's win and trust that God will bless it. Brandon's right. Lots of amazing things are happening in our church. We as a staff team last Monday morning just said, like, how many people have just recently put their faith in Christ? I'm sure some of you are in the room. And, and I had a Sharpie marker out, you know, and I'm just like, okay, so give me some names. It was like one after another after another. We came up with like 15 names who'd given their lives to Christ. And we were excited about it. Okay, like, who's going to help them, like, take that step of baptism? And who's going to help them kind of get established in their faith? Because when someone steps into the kingdom of God, they're just like a baby stepping into this world, right? They're just, they're vulnerable, and they, they need to learn how to eat and walk and, you know, just spiritually uh, grow. And, and we were just writing that stuff down, and it was so cool because that was Monday morning. And then uh, Thursday morning, Starbucks, number 16, surrenders his life to Jesus, and I happen uh, to be able to witness this man go from death to life, from a place of brokenness to forgiveness. And I'm telling you, God is on the move in, in our church, and we're nothing special, but we get to be recipients of just seeing front row seats at all that God is doing. And, and I recognize that when people start off in their faith, like there are a couple things that really mark off like starting strongly. In, in faith, right? A couple things that were true of a guy that we get a chance to look at this morning in the Bible as we jump back into 1 Samuel. A couple things that began in this guy's life that we want continuing in our life. Just a couple things that I want you to see, two things that I want you to see that marked the beginning of this man's journey that needs to mark the beginning of those 16 and that needs to continue to mark our path of life. If we would live for the glory of God, if we would live to enjoy him, if we would live to make much of him, there's just a couple things, a couple things that I want us to just slow down on and see and beg God, make them true of my life. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 Samuel 19. That's where we are um, this morning. 1 Samuel 19, just to give you, uh, chapter 9, sorry, to give you your bearings, especially if you're new here We've been in this book for about five weeks now, and it, it, originally, First and Second Samuel was just one book. They kind of divided it because of just so much material. But you see three major characters that God is using, and this is a transition from the time of the judges where things are like moral and spiritual chaos, and the time when God would lead his people graciously through a king. But we, we saw a little bit already in some weeks of the past how God used this guy Samuel, and, and we're going to see a little bit more of him, but this is kind of his role is beginning to diminish, and, and this morning we see the rise of King Saul and how God would use this guy, and then later coming up, we're going to see King David, a few major figures that are in this book, but I'm telling you, try as they might, they will leave a longing in our heart for the greater king. They, they will put that subtitle there, longing for the perfect king. We will find that as we go through these chapters, Though God graciously provides leadership in our life, we will find ourselves longing for that greater king. In the meantime, in the meantime, we see the beginning of the first king of Israel and his beginning here in 1 Samuel 9. Let me read. I'm going to read the chapter to you. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says, There was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Aphia, son of a Benjamite. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. 
There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. One day, the donkeys of Saul's father, Kish, wandered off. Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Saul and his servant went through the hill country of Ephraim and even through the region of Shalashah, but they did not find them. They went through the region of Shalim, nothing. Then they went through the Benjamite region, but didn't find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to the servant who was with them, come on, let's go back. Or my father will stop worrying about the donkeys and start worrying about us. Look, the servant said, there's a man of God in the city who's highly respected. Everything he says is sure to come true. Let's go there now. Maybe he'll tell us which way we should go. Suppose we do go, Saul said to a servant. What do we have to take the man? The food from our packs is gone, and there's no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul, here, I have a little silver. I'll give it to the man of God, and he will tell us which way we should go. And parenthetically, formerly in Israel, a man who was going to inquire of God would say, come, let's go to the seer, for the prophet of today was formerly called the seer. Good, Saul replied to his servant, come on, let's go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they were climbing the hill to the city, they found some young women coming out to draw water and asked, is the seer here? The woman answered, yes, he is ahead of you. Hurry, he just now entered the city because there's a sacrifice for the people at the high place today. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes to the high place to eat. The people won't eat until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. After that, the guests can eat. Go up immediately, you can find him now. So they went up toward the city. Saul and his servants were entering the city where they saw Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul's arrival, the Lord had informed Samuel, at this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will save them from the Philistines because I have seen the affliction of my people for their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, here is the man I told you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the city and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel answered. Go up ahead of me to the high place and eat with me today. When I send you off in the morning, I'll, set, I'll tell you everything that's in your heart. As for the donkeys that wandered away from you three days ago, don't worry about them because they've been found. And who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? Saul responded, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And is it my clan, the least important of all the clans of the Benjamite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? Samuel took Saul and his servant, brought them to the banquet hall, and gave them a place at the head of the 30 or so men who had been invited. Then Samuel said to the cook, get the portion of meat that I gave you and told you to set aside. The cook picked up the thigh and what was attached to it and set it before Saul. Then Samuel said, notice that the reserved piece is set before you. Eat it, because it was saved for you for the solemn event at the time I said I've invited the, pe the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. Afterward, they went down from the high place of the city, and Samuel spoke with Saul on the roof. They got up early, and just before dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof. Get up, and I'll send you on your way. Saul got up, and both he and Samuel went outside. As they were going down to the edge of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go on ahead of us, but you stay for a while, and I'll reveal the word of God to you. So the servant went on. Samuel took the flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him, and said, hasn't the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? I'm going to stop there. 
Look, in, in 1 Samuel 6, a few chapters ago, there were some wandering cows that God used like they were on remote control to bring the ark of God right back to where it needed to be. And here you can bet that God was leading this wandering band of donkeys, right, as they just aimlessly headed away from their dad's house. And God can use stubborn donkeys, and he can even use us, stubborn people, to bring about divine appointments where he is going to work in power. And in fact, it's a crisis for them. It's like, when was the last crisis in your family? It's like, oh, I lost my donkeys. You know, like, that, never. No one in this room, I would bet, can say, dude, tell me about it. You know, like, but this was a crisis. This was a crisis. It's like your car just drove away. Like, you lost your donkeys. And here's what's transferable, though. It's often in the midst of crises in our lives that we don't want that God shows up. He often uses like problems, troubles, hardship, pain. It's often in the midst of crises that God begins to reveal something in our lives. And that might be happening in your life right now. So, so stay tuned to this. Saul, he looks for his father's donkeys and Samuel finds Israel's king. <laughs> the one guy's looking for donkeys, the other guy's looking for a king and God brings it together. And then it's kind of crazy. He's like, oh, guess what? You're gonna be the king. Sits him at the front of the table at the head of the table, and I don't know what everyone else is eating, maybe a little small piece of meat, you know, how do you want your steak done, you know, medium, medium, rare. This guy, they're like, bring out the thigh. I mean, just to put it in your mind, this, like, hey, bring out the thigh, like, bring the leg. It's like, boom. This guy who's looking for donkeys finds himself sitting at the head of a table. No one's more shocked than him with probably the biggest piece of meat maybe he's ever seen. I don't know, that's the thigh. Maybe they gave it all to him. And he finds this guy saying to him, you're the future king. And I just want to key in. I said there were two things that would mark what it means to walk with God, to enjoy him, to be use of God in life. Two things that mark the beginning of Saul's life. I just want you to, I want to key in on the first, and I want to key in especially on what Samuel said to Saul and how Saul responded to Samuel. Here it is, 1 Samuel 9.20. Halfway through the verse, it says, Samuel says, and who does all Israel desire but you and all your father's family? And Saul responded, am I not a Benjamite from the smallest of Israel's tribes? And isn't my clan the least important of all the clans of the Benjamite tribe? So why have you said something like this to me? To me, of all people, to me. Do, do, are you confused? Is your eyesight bad? Do you know who you're talking to? I'm a nobody. What are you saying? Samuel will later say, a few chapters later, he'll later say and describe Saul, you, you were small in your own eyes. The irony there is Saul is a big guy. He's stood a head taller than everyone else. So he, physically he looked impressive, but in his eyes, he was small in his own eyes. That phrase has always stood with me for years, for decades, small in his own eyes. Just didn't matter how big he looked to everyone else. In his heart, just like this little guy. What? Me? Are you kidding me? And I love that expression, to be small in your own eyes. We know what the opposite of that expression is, right? We know what it's like to say the absolute opposite of that in culture, right? But guys, it's from athletes, from Stephon Diggs to Joe Burrows, LeBron James. Like, you just turn your TV on, right? And you'll see the guy. And maybe it's all guys. 
who look into that camera and without blinking say, I'm him. <laughs> right? I'm him. Guys who believe in their hearts, all those quarterbacks might fail, all the other players on the court might fail, but I'm him. I'm him. I'm the guy who can carry this team down the field on my back, because guess what? I'm him. I'm him. I'm the guy who you can look to when all others fail, because guess what? I'm him. I'm the guy. I'm him. I'm the one who you can count on and trust in like you can trust in God, because guess what? I'm him. I'm him. And Saul's like, I'm not him. I'm not God. I'm just a guy. I'm really small. You look at me, I look big. I'm really small. Are you sure? I can't even believe this. Me? I just found myself going, okay. No one was more shocked by God's choice of Saul than Saul. How about you? Salt Church, are we marked by humility or pride? Do you find yourself humbly looking up to people who are out ahead of you or arrogantly looking down on the people that you see behind you? Do you find yourself in your heart going, I'm him, or going, I need him? Where are you at? Because I want just to pause just for a moment, if I could just hit time out in 1 Samuel to just talk about humility for just a moment. You know, humility is required to go to heaven. Humility is how spiritual life even begins. Like you don't even get in unless you humble yourself before God. Receiving forgiveness from God begins with admitting, I'm wrong. I have been arrogant and proud and immoral and greedy. I am wrong. I've offended a holy God. I'm wrong. I've done it all wrong. God, will you please forgive me? Because that's exactly what Brandon and I got to see last week at Starbucks with Bernie. Guys, Bernie, these are some of his words. Bernie says, as long as I can remember, I've been a sinner and only remember God in bad moments and never on normal days. I failed as a brother, husband, boyfriend, son, father. I became consumed by my pride and only cared about my feelings. I hurt the people I cared about most, and when I realized my pride didn't let me be the man my family needed to be, I lost them. He, he started talking about how he started coming to Salt Church, but, but he said it first for the wrong reasons, and then he says this, I know I'm far from becoming the Christian I want to be, but I'm excited for the path I decided to take on February 15th, 2024. That was last Thursday morning. Bernie surrendered his life to Jesus after hearing the gospel. He humbled himself before God and said, I'm wrong. You're right, and I want to be right with you. And he wrote this. It was time for me to humble myself and just say, God, I need you, and I want to follow your steps. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? See, humility opens the door to heaven. Humility is where someone starts. Can't be where you end, but it's got to be where you start. Just the humility to say, I need God. I need God. But humility, living in humility shows it brings God's favor. I want you to listen to a promise from Jesus himself, from Luke 14, 11, excuse me. It says this, Jesus says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
you see that promise? It cuts both ways. Everyone who exalts himself, here's the frightening part of it. You're going to get humbled by God. But the one who humbles himself before God and stays in that place, God will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will use you. It's a promise that cuts both ways. So it's kind of like this. Be humble or be humbled. You choose. You can be humble. God exalts you. God uses you. Blessings on your life. Or you can be humbled by God because you just choose to believe in your heart of hearts. Man, I'm him. I got this. I, um, my heart began to break. I talked to a friend this past week, um, and I was hanging out with him, and he was sharing his life about how Jesus has worked so powerfully in his life. It was amazing. It was marvelous. And he was being super open and um, talking about just sin, failures, and struggles and stuff that God's totally forgiven him of. It's beautiful, totally forgiven. And then got to a place where he said, hey, there's just one remaining sin struggle that's the most forceful remaining sin struggle in my life. I mean, he had shared so much. I thought, I don't even, dude, I know you're forgiven by God even for that, but, but what could it even be? And he says, uh, you know what it was? It was pride. And when he said it, it was an interesting reaction that went on in my heart. I had nothing on my face, probably nothing in my words, but my heart just was sad right away. Because I know, oh, dude, you got to stay humble. Keep humbling yourself. That's the one that God's going to use in a great way. I know it. Jesus said it. I know it's a promise. Don't give in. Don't give in to those temptations to be arrogant. Because I know that would be a path that God promises. I will humble. And you know what? My heart's sad because it's so true in my own life. Don't you find it welling up in your own soul? See, pride says, I, I'm better than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm more gifted than you. I, I'm more godly than you. I'm more committed than you. I'm a better father. I'm a better brother. I'm a better son. I'm better. I'm just better. But humility says, and every good thing in my life is the unmerited kindness of God to a most undeserving person. Pride says, where you have failed, I won't. Where you're weak, I'm strong. And humility says, oh, by the grace of God. Is anything good flowing from my broken heart? Pride says, I can't believe you think like that. I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that. And humility says, I can't believe I haven't yet. And I can't believe God's forgiven me when I have. And it's only by his kindness that I don't do that again and again and again because given the right time and the right moment, there's no sin I'm not capable of. God help me. Rescue me day by day for myself. See, the day Saul was chosen, humility said, who am I? Are you kidding me? Do you know who I am? And guys, I'm just saying, Salt Church, I'm pleading to my own soul, like I'm preaching up here, but believe me, I'm sitting in a seat too, and I'm just going, hear this, hear this. We got nothing going for us except Jesus. Let's be humble so we're not humbled. Saul began so well. Saul's reign began with deep humility. That's something I want us to see, okay? The, the two things I said, number one, it's this. Saul's reign, it began with deep humility, but there's more. There's more in this passage. Look, I want to summarize chapter 10. We're not going to read through the entire chapter 10 like I just did with chapter 9. Basically, 
Samuel says to Saul, okay, go home, got the donkeys, and several things that Samuel prophesies happen exactly as he says them. And he just walks right into seeing God go boom, boom, boom. But like everything God's saying is like he's confirming. Like God's confirming, you're my choice, and I'm showing myself to you in powerful ways. He even prophesies in the power of God's spirit. All these things happen. You can read all about it in chapter 10 on your own. But it is what happens in chapter 11 that I want to draw our attention to. It's in the midst of a national crisis that we see the second thing that marked the beginning of King Saul's life that is beautiful. Here we go. 1 Samuel 11. Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and laid siege to Jabesh Gilead. All the men of Jabesh said to him, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. Nahash, the Ammonite, replied, I'll make one with you on this condition, that I gouge out everyone's right eye and humiliate all Israel. Don't do anything for us, to us for seven days, the elders of Jabesh said to him, and let us send messengers throughout the territory of Israel. If no one saves us, we'll surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah, Saul's hometown, right, the new king's hometown, and told the terms to the people, all wept aloud. Just then Saul was coming in from the field behind his oxen. What's the matter with the people? Why are they weeping? Saul inquired, and they repeated to him the words of the men from Jabesh. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him, and his anger burned furiously. He took a team of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by messengers who said, this is what will be done to the ox of anyone who doesn't march behind Saul and Samuel. As a result, the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they went out united. Saul counted them at Bezek. There were 300,000 Israelites and 30,000 men from Judah. He told the messengers who had come, tell this to the men of Jabesh Gilead, deliverance will be yours tomorrow by the time the sun is hot. So the messengers told the men of Jabesh, and they rejoiced. Then the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Tomorrow will come out, and you can do to us whatever you want. The next day, Saul organized the troops into three divisions. During the morning watch, they invaded the Ammonite camp and slaughtered them until the heat of the day. There were survivors, but they were so scattered that no two of them were left together. Afterward, the people said to Samuel, Who said that Saul should not reign over us? Give us those men so we can kill them. But Saul ordered, no one will be executed this day, for today the Lord has provided deliverance in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let's go to Gilgal so we can renew the kingship there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there in the Lord's presence they made Saul king. Then they sacrificed fellowship offering in the Lord's presence, and Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Can you imagine the magnitude of that crisis? Can you just imagine the magnitude of what was going on? You surrender or we'll gouge out the right eye of every one of you. Just maim all of you. We will subject you to slavery. Saul hears about that. And the Bible says something unique happened. 1 Samuel eleven six 6 is this. When Saul heard these words, the Spirit of God suddenly came powerfully on him, and his anger burned ferociously, <laughs> furiously. I mean, the guy was just filled with anger. But this was the Spirit of God on him, moving him forward. And when I first think of it, I'm like, well, who empowered Saul to charge forward in this fight? God did. So who gets the credit for this defeat? God does. Guys, here's the second thing that we want to mark our life. 
Saul's strength came from the Spirit of God. Saul's strength came from the Spirit of God. Now, at this point, it would be fair of you as a Christian to go, wait, hold on a second. Didn't God's Spirit work differently back then in the Old Testament as he does now in the New Testament? Like when, when people put their faith in Jesus. Didn't the Spirit of God work differently then than now? And I'd say to you, yes and no. And the elders wanted me to just hit pause on this, just to explain to our church like how the Spirit of God worked throughout time and history. So I want to say it maybe this simply. In the Old Testament, from time to time, the Spirit of God would come on certain people, use them for a time, and sometimes if they were living in disobedience, would depart from them. Back then, he would come on some and sometimes depart. In the New Testament, when we put our faith in Christ, the Spirit comes to live in Christians, to work in our lives, to never leave us. So it is true there's a difference of the Spirit of God coming on people and using them for a time before the time of Christ and now how he dwells in. Let me, let me illustrate with the life of Samson. Maybe you remember the book before this is the book of Judges, where Samson, actually a pretty godless guy when you look at his life how he rejected his parents, that he was really into women. Like, this guy uh, is a guy that God did use at times. In Judges 14, the Spirit of God, it says, came on godless Samson, and the guy had power to tear a lion apart with his hands. Like, how do you even start that? I get it, with a piece of paper. How, what part of the lion do you start with? <laughs> you know, he tore a lion apart with his hands. That's got to be the Spirit of God. In later that same chapter, the Spirit of God came on Samson, and he killed 30 people 30 people dead who had secretly found out the answer to the riddle that his wife knew. You'll have to read it yourself if, you, if this is new to you. It's amazing. In Judges 15, the Spirit of God comes on Samson. He breaks these ropes that are on him, grabs a donkey's jawbone. I don't have a visual, but you can imagine. Big old jawbone. Uses a bone, kills a thousand men. Spirit of God came on this guy in power. And then there's that haunting verse in the book of Judges awful. When he just thought, I can do whatever I want. I got God's strength. Judges 16, 19, it'll be up on the screen then. And I've inserted their names because just the, the pronouns would be a little tricky. We're jumping in the middle of the passage. Then Delilah, this woman who he was after, let Samson fall asleep on her lap and called a man to shave off the seven braids on his head. If you remember, um, this, this vow, his hair had never been cut. In this way, she made him helpless, and his strength left him. Then she cried, Samson, the Philistines are here. When he awoke from his sleep, he said, I'll escape as I did before and shake myself free. And here it is. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. What a haunting verse. This guy who just presumed upon God to always be there, and then just the Lord leaves him. And guys, if you know the rest of the story, they jump on him. They gouge out both his eyes. They send him to forced labor in a prison camp. I mean, it's an awful end of his life. It gets redeemed right at the end. I'll let you read Judges on your own. But in a very real way, the Spirit of God came on people, and when he, because of his godlessness, like the Spirit of God's like, I'm out. This is why, actually, King David prayed the way he did after he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then went and murdered Bathsheba's husband Uriah. You remember how he prayed in Psalm 51? Look at this. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. 
He prayed like that because that was a distinct possibility. The Spirit of God was on his life, and maybe the Spirit of God would leave his life. So again, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God did come on people and at times use them and then leave. But in the New Testament, totally different. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in believers. I could shoot through maybe a lot of verses that show this in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians. I just want to show one that's just tender to my own heart. Galatians 4, 6. Paul reminds them, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. In Ephesians, it says the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. He comes to dwell in us just like he came to, was with Jesus, and he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But here, the Spirit of God allows us to cry, Abba, Father. A phrase we don't use much in our language, we might just say, Daddy. It's a term of intimacy. God comes to live in us, and we cry out to him for help. What, what intimacy that God would give to us. So we, too, cry out, Father. And when the fresh attacks from Satan come, it is the Spirit of God in us that is our strength, our hope, our help. And Paul knew this. Paul, the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures, would go on to write about this. Though we have the Spirit of God in us, we need to be filled with his power day by day. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.18. Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And he'll go on and talk about what that looks like. Don't get drunk with wine. Don't be so controlled by alcohol that the overflow of his godlessness instead be controlled. That's the idea of filled. It's not that you get more of God. It's that he gets more of you. You're more surrendered to his purposes. You're saying day by day by day, God, you who are in me, I give me to you. God, you who are in me, I need you to, to lead through me. I'll blow it without you every day. I'll look at what I shouldn't look at. I'll say things the way I, I didn't want to say them. God, you who are in me, I need your power, your strength to be filled with the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God comes to dwell in us. We long to experience more of his reign. I guarantee you, our friends, our family, long to experience more of the Spirit in us. He is in us. He won't leave us. He will empower us for the life that we long to live. The Spirit of God is who we need. I'm telling you. Saul began so well. He began so well, filled with humility, empowered by God's Spirit. God was using him in great ways. What a great start. How awesome was that? It, like meteoric just Fame and usefulness in God's man was being used to bless God's people. That's what we want. We won't go too far before we see the reality of this, that not all who begin well finish well. But now we look at how he began. I'm telling you, don't you need a greater work of humility in your heart? Don't you find yourself like me needing you to go, God, Help me walk in humility. Just last night, I'm in an argument with Jenny. It wasn't loud. It wasn't, you know, we're just kind of back and forth, disagreeing about something. And then she said something I knew was wrong, I, that I knew I was wrong about. And man, I wanted to argue it. I wanted to argue something I didn't even believe in anymore. Because I wanted to be right. Right? Men, don't lose. Never again. You know, like, that was in me. And I'm like, 
I'm just wanting to start to argue something. I don't even believe it, you know. I'm just, I'm dug in now. And it's like, I was wrong. Wait for it. Will you please? It's killing me. Forgive me. Will you please forgive me? Like, to say those eight words kills me inside. My pride is raging all the time. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Don't you need the humility of God in your life? Don't you find yourself bowing up and looking down on others? And don't you need the sweetness and the power of the Spirit of God filling you so that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and all the fruit of the Spirit would be true. I'm telling you, sometimes that's in me and marking me. Sometimes it's not. But it was always true of Jesus. Jesus Christ. You can't come in a more humble way than Jesus came. The baby who never saw a hospital room but saw a feeding trough where you feed animals, put him there. You can't come and live more humbly than him. He never had a place to lay his head. He wandered around from place to place, yet gained a following that has shook the world. His humility has drawn the hearts of all men and women to him of all nations. The one who said, not me, but God's will. God's will be done. Jesus Christ, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And it is therefore because of that that God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. He modeled humility, and he modeled what it meant to be empowered by the Spirit. Never was he without the Spirit. The only child born with the Spirit of God in him. And yet, he lived in the power of the Spirit. He didn't grieve the Holy Spirit, which I could do. He didn't quench the Holy Spirit, which I could do. No, in the power of God's Spirit, he spoke words of life. He spoke words of love. He even knew how to correct people. Not be mean. Not be arrogant but be gentle and be used of God. Jesus Christ, filled with humility. Jesus Christ, full of the Holy Spirit, showed us this is what it means to walk before God. And we need him. We need him. And so we come to him. In this room, on a dreary, rainy day in Gainesville, we sit before God himself. And we're about to take communion where we will commune with him. But before we do, I just want to lead us in a time of prayer. I just want to lead us in a time of prayer because maybe you're like me and you're like, I, I need to humble myself before God. I want to be a humble man. I want to be a humble woman. You, you, you want to be humble before God. And so I just want us to bow our heads together, bow our heads. And let me ask you this question. Would you say that you are small in your own eyes? You're looking up to others or, or maybe have you allowed arrogance to grow, where you spend more time looking down on people you're better than, than looking up to people you still got to learn from. Guys, let's humble ourselves before God. Let's humble ourselves before him. Maybe you're here, you don't even know Jesus this morning, but maybe you'd follow Bernie's example. Maybe you'd say, I've messed it all up. I've messed it up. I, I've sinned against the holiness of God. Thank you for sending Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I turn to him right now. So let's be before God. Say, God, maybe God brings up an area where you've been proud, you've been arrogant, uh, you've been looking down on others. You think you're better than, bigger than, stronger than, more competent than. You're, you're, you're up high. Let's.
humble ourselves before God. I'll give you just a minute to pray to God. Let's ask God to give us a humble heart. Just confess any pride. Just ask him to forgive you for that. Ask him to make you more like him. Ask him to bring to mind anyone that you need to go to and say, I was wrong, will you please forgive me? And if he does, then you tell him that you will make it right. Jesus modeled for us all humility, but he also modeled what it meant to be empowered by the Spirit of God. Saul, we saw that in his life, and now we're just going to say, God, please empower me by your Spirit. Please empower me by your Spirit. Live through me. Live your life through me. Say your words through me. Spend your dollars through me. Schedule my schedule just the way he would want it. We're just surrendering to God. We're, we're, we're acknowledging that he is in us, but we're surrendering ourselves to him so he would have the fullness of reign in us. So we're, we're asking God's spirit to empower us to bear the fruit he wants us to bear in our lives. So let's pray to God and ask him to empower us through his Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for how you use this man, Saul, who stood a head taller than everyone else, but still said, are you kidding me? Me? No way. Oh, God, make us to be a humble people. Make Salt Church be known for humility. Be known for humility. Have a small view of ourselves. Be servants of others. Learn from others. We have so much to learn. Oh, God, forgive us for our arrogance. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Oh, God, we don't want to be detested in any way. God, we humble ourselves before you. Jesus, we turn our eyes to you, you who are humble, you who did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but you let it go. You came. You became a man. We want to be like Jesus. And, oh, Holy Spirit, fill this place with power. God, you come to live in our lives. We can't get any more of you but you can have more of us. We want you to control us. We want you to bear fruit through us. We want to be yours. Oh God, as we approach communion, we recognize that the only reason we can take this bread and this cup, the only reason we can do it is because you came for us. Jesus, you in humility and filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you allowed your body to be broken. You allowed your blood to be shed. And this is our chance, God, to come to you and say, oh, Lord, you did it for me. Thank you. We do this in remembrance of God. We come forward and we just say, oh, 
for all my pride, for all my arrogance, for all my independence, for all my immorality, you did this for me. You did this for me. You opened up heaven for me. Oh, God, as we sing these songs, as we take communion, Jesus, would you be honored? Would you be pleased? Would we commune with you? Oh, we ask this humbly in your name. Amen. When you're ready, you can come forward and take communion. There's a gluten-free option here on the left. There are stations around the corner of the back of the room. Let this time of worship be an opportunity for us to continue praying, continuing to seek God, continuing to worship him as we come to the table of communion.